0: I'm Susan Branscombe, and this is Leading She.
1: You know, I do, Susan, as you said, I have this um, saying that, you know, I hire really great people and get out of their way because, you know, it's really about the talent and finding finding terrific talent, empowering them to do their roles, providing guidance, providing direction, providing um, in some ways even, um, you know, being the the person that sort of advocates for them. But really, you know, that's what people want. You know, ultimately, I think two two things that people want, and I really try to focus on this with employees um, and coworkers, you know, people wanna add value and be valued. And adding valued is, uh, you know, when someone's empowered to add value, like you have a lifelong, uh, you know, loyal, Um, employee who is going to you know move mountains for you and then being being valued sometimes is just offering you know giving people um, the room to make their own decisions trusting people and it's also valuing them you know certainly from a money perspective and those sorts of things but but it's really about valuing what they bring to the table and giving them the opportunity to really shine
0: Lisa Knutson has had a 33-year career, 15 years of which she's worked with the E.W. Scripps Company. She was recently promoted to president of Scripps Network when several businesses merged. She oversees a staff of 850 people. Lisa is highly regarded as a leader and a risk taker and encourages her staff to openly oppose the status quo, push the envelope, and challenge the way things have been done. Her path to the top has been unconventional as she has a wide variety of professional experiences, including having a responsibility for HR, IT, as well as serving as the CFO. She began her career in accounting with Arthur Anderson. Overcoming self-doubt and fear, she took risks. She would succeed in every area, and she did. Enjoy this great episode with Lisa Knudsen. Today, my guest on Leading She is Lisa Knudsen president of Scripps Networks at the E.W. Scripps Company a large publicly traded company which is a company focused on journalism radio podcast newspaper tv cable channels lisa has held the position since january of this year 2021 when scripps bought ion media ew scripps is headquartered in cincinnati ohio and in this position she oversees the operations of the newly combined businesses of ion media the Five Cats Networks, and Newsy. She oversees about 850 people. Lisa has been with Scripps for over 15 years. Prior to this leadership position, she served as chief financial officer. And in that role, Lisa led the company's financial operations, corporate development, enterprise-wide strategic planning, and manages company-wide functions, including IT and risk management. During her career with Scripps, She served as Chief Administrative Officer and Senior Vice President, Human Resources. Prior to Scripps, Lisa worked at Fifth Third Bank and was with Arthur Anderson. She worked with a startup company called Sarah Technologies. Uh, And if my math is right, that's about uh, a 33-year career, Lisa, is that right? That's right.
1: I hate to admit it, but yes, (laughs) it
0: is. It's been a long, successful one. So welcome to Leading She. Thank you. Continue to some introduction here, and then I'll ask you some questions. Um, You have a bachelor's degree in accountancy from Miami University of Ohio. You serve on the boards of West Banco, Inc., a bank based in Wheeling, West Virginia, and on the board of Blue Ant Media, a privately held company based in Toronto, Canada. And you're on the board of Bethesda, Inc., a hospital organization and your trustee for Scripps Howard Foundation. So welcome again to Leading She.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, glad to have you here. You're right down the middle of the fairway in terms of the guests I like to have on Leading She. Um, Lisa was recognized in 2020 as uh, a broadcast best finance leader by radio and television business report, and in 2017 by the YWCA Greater Cincinnati Career Woman of Achievement. So, congratulations on that honor. Thank you. I was a career woman of achievement for the YWCA in 2011. Oh, great. You're part of what they call the Academy, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You've had a wonderful career, um, and I've wanted to host you uh, on the podcast for a while. So, I'm glad you're finally here and glad Kay Geiger president of PNC Bank, uh, introduced us. And as I read your career, any highlights at all that you'd like to talk about?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think when you look at my, um, certainly look at my resume, it's um, a varied resume, one um, that did not, you know, usually you can see a direct path to the CFO or, um, in my case now, leading a business unit. And and I've had you know lots of careers over time, um, uh, and several within the same company, um, EW Scripps. And um, I've enjoyed um, following my passion, following my um, interest, you know, taking on challenges um, throughout my career. And you know Scripps has been a wonderful place um, for me to sort of um, live my adventure, certainly over the last 15 years.
0: what is the market cap? of EW Scripts, I know it's a publicly traded company. What is the market cap?
1: You know, we're over um, close to, th- uh, you know, close to $3 billion at this point in time, you know, over the course of the last several years, we've been on a acquisition tear, certainly starting in 2017 um, through 2000, really uh, ending this year at the beginning of the year, we've bought and sold a lot of businesses, um, really repositioning ourselves, um, trends, forming, I think, the company into um, what it is today. So, you know, we Mm -hmm. just as as you mentioned, we just finished our last acquisition in January with Ion Media, which was the largest acquisition the company ever undertook, which was $2.65 billion um, buying Ion Media and, um, you know, positions us nicely for the future of the, you know, changing media landscape.
0: Sure. Yeah, that's. I understand that's when you uh, achieved the position. You were promoted to the position of president uh, when Scripps bought Ion Media. Tell me a little about what Ion Media does. Cats the Cats Networks, Newsy. Tell me what uh, companies you're over and what they do.
1: Yeah, so you know we're. Think of us as a hybrid between a broadcast network. So something like ABC, right? ABC, Mm -hmm. CBS, NBC. We are the fifth, um, you know, the big four, ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox, where ION is the fifth largest broadcast network. So ION owned television stations across the country. But very different than local TV stations where you're broadcasting, um, you know, local news and local um, and programming from ABC or NBC. ION is the network and we have stations across the country and affiliates across the country that are running ION programming. So so in some ways we are like ABC or NBC where we are broadcasting, um, you know, the fifth largest broadcaster, but we're also on cable. And in some cases, um, you know, in 2020, we're um, the third largest cable network. So watched cable network, uh, because we are broadcast on cable as well. So um, that's ION. And we combined ION with our, we had five, um, six other networks, including Newsy. We had Bounce, with, which is our African-American focused network. Think of BET, but um, Bounce is really... Focused on the positive portrayal of African Americans, um, we have Grit, which is um, sort of a Westerns, sort of uh, male-focused network. We have Laugh, which is a comedy network. We have um, Court TV Mystery, which is really think of like Lifetime movies and mm-hmm. mysteries. And then uh, we have Court TV. Um, so we. Yes. We resurrected, um, you know, what many years ago, many people knew Court TV during the O.J. trial. We bought the rights to that, um, the, the back uh, uh, rights to Court TV and the name, and relaunched that in 2018, 2019, and mm-hmm. and then Newsy, which is our national news network. And so, what basically what we're doing is combining all of our national networks, both entertainment networks and news networks into one division, which is now the uh, Scripps Networks division.
0: Okay. All right, good. Um, Yeah, it's interesting that uh, the American public uh, gets its media much differently than, say, during the time of the OJ trial. You know, we are mobile. uh, We get it through streaming. We get it through TV. But TV is just a portion of how we get our media right? So it's all changed. And, and, and I think uh, Scripps has adapted very well to that.
1: Yeah. I, I think what you're seeing is this phenomenon where people are cutting the cord, right? They're cutting cable subscriptions. Um, little do people know that when you cut cable, you can plug in a digital antenna to your TV, which you can buy on Amazon for less than $20. And suddenly, 50 channels are available to you over the air for free. And including Mm -hmm. all of our networks, but also including ABC, CBS, free sports. And so, you know, people are cutting the cord, um, the growth in the over the air. So think about the rabbit ears that you used to have on your TV years Mm -hmm. and years ago. Right. Now you don't need rabbit ears. You just plug in a digital antenna, and suddenly all of this free content is available to you. Um, Mm -hmm. At the same time, you know, people are, um, signing up for subscription on demand, right? Um, you probably, like me, subscribe to Netflix and Hulu and yes. Disney Plus and Discovery Plus. And we are also moving our networks, each of those networks that I talked about, to what we're calling free ad-supported networks. So now you can stream those networks or watch them over the air or watch them on cable. And so you have to adapt. Um to where the media consumer is going. I mean, this industry, just like lots of other other industries are just full of change and disruption and you've got to be able to be flexible and pivot as you see the direction that the consumer is headed.
0: Sure, sure. Well, you are, um, in my getting to know you a bit on our our talk, um, you are a strong leader and you are good at assembling teams. And you, as you say, hiring the right people and getting out of their way. Um, and you say that you, appreciates, you appreciate individuals' value and what each individual brings and what motivates them. Uh, you know, what's important to a 25-year-old employee is different than
1: yeah.
0: uh, a 55-year-old employee. And talk about that as you lead the company, lead your group, and appreciating individual differences.
1: Yeah, I, um, I have for a long, long time. Uh, you know, certainly, I'm a what I would call a, a values-based leader. I'm very, very in tune with what is important to me, what I value. Uh, things like respect, things like authenticity, things like um, empowerment um, and um, independence. I love challenge and change, and so knowing that about myself helps me. You know to set the direction for my own career. Well, knowing that about my employees and the people that I'm entrusted with um, helps me to guide their careers and to provide them with the opportunities to reach their full potential. And so, you know, I do, Susan, as you said, I have this um, saying that, you know, I hire really great people and get out of their way because, you know, it's really about the talent and finding, finding terrific talent, Empowering them to do their roles, providing guidance, providing direction, providing, um, in some ways, even, um, you know, being the the person that sort of advocates for them. But really, you know, that's what people want. You know, ultimately, I think two, two things that people want, and I really try to focus on this with employees um, and coworkers, you know, people want to add value and be valued. hmm. And adding valued is, uh, you know, when someone's empowered to add value, like you have a lifelong, um, you know, loyal um, employee who is going to, you know, move mountains for you. And then Mm -hmm. being being valued sometimes is just offering, you know, giving people um, the room to make their own decisions, trusting people. And it's also valuing them, you know, certainly from a money perspective and those sorts of things. But, but it's really about valuing what they bring to the table and giving them the opportunity to really shine. So
0: Right. Yeah. Very important to hire the right people when you don't have the right people on the bus. It's, it, it definitely affects, you know, success and uh, really valuing individual differences. And some of the things you're talking about in terms of how you lead. Uh, in my long career, I've had the experience of having female and male leaders lead in the way you're talking about. I've also had the experience of primarily male leaders in the command and control, you know, uh, like an army sergeant. You know, we're going to do it my way. I don't care what you guys think. This is my, we're going to do it this way. And this is very much, I think, the way uh, that the best leaders in the country and in companies lead today. And that is, Give people, you know, some mastery over their environment. Let them, you know, let them do what they do best and get out of their way. Right? Would you mm-hmm. say it's a somewhat of a male-female thing? Not entirely. We don't, don't want to be completely uh, biased in that way. But I—that's what I see.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely, um, you know, I, I, I definitely see what you're saying in terms of that's been, I think, a traditional sort of role model for male leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that is, that's, you know, for the last, you know, certainly the last 30 years plus of my career. Um, I have been, um, I would say really blessed to, um, in my career to come across some leaders that were not, um, that way. And that Mm -hmm. were, that gave me the opportunity to sort of, um, you know, shine and spread my wings and, um, and you know, certainly at Scripps in particular, Rich Bainey and Adam Simpson have been leaders. Um, you know, i'm I'm famous for sort of saying, like, make them tell you no. So I, I will I like <laughs> I like to push the envelope. like tell me yes. no, I can't do that. Um, right and And so I, I, I do think it's it's probably, um, you know, certainly more innate in females, but I have been very, very blessed in my career. Um, to have some really great male role models as well. Um, yeah. And and and, um, and and I see them, you know, I, I try to highlight, promote, and um, assemble my team, male or female, with those same kind of traits, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's important. You know, Susan, one other thing I would say that I think is really, mm-hmm. really important um, for employees Um, individuals that you're leading is really sometimes people just want to be heard. You know, I I like to say in order to be heard, you first have to listen. And and so, you know, you really do have to listen, get the input, solicit the input. Ultimately, you know, if someone feels heard, um, then that's really in some cases all they want. Um, And even if you make a different decision, at least their point of view has been listen to, and not shut down. And so I really try to promote a very open, collaborative, transparent environment that allows people to be heard, knowing that we'll come to consensus on decisions, but um, at least they feel like that their opinions can be, you know, Mm -hmm. at, at least thought through.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I see that in how just in the short time I've gotten to know you and your reputation I happened to meet one of your associates at an FC Cincinnati soccer game on Friday night, just coincidentally, just this past Friday night. And uh, we gathered and uh, she has loved working with you, you Mm. know, and she could have said anything. I said, oh, I'm interviewing, you know, Lisa Knudsen, And she said, you know, I just love how Lisa leads and I've loved working with her. And she says, I often ask myself, what would Lisa do? (laughs) That's a high compliment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're doing well, it sounds like.
1: Well, thank you. I, I, and if you um, ask that same person, I also do not like the limelight. I like people. I like my employees to shine. And, yes. and that gives me more satisfaction and a sense of accomplishment when they're the ones getting the accolades versus me. So that I will, yes. I will say that. Um,
0: that's, that's wonderful. There's no
1: higher, no higher compliment than when someone that you've helped to, you know, coach and mentor along the way is wildly successful. That gives mm-hmm. me more, like, that, that, I feel like I'm making a difference when, when I right. see them.
0: Yeah. I read a study at one point that said that most CEOs are natural introverts, and the best leaders and CEOs are natural introverts, which seems counterintuitive you know, you always mm-hmm. think ego, extrovert, but really many great CEOs and leaders tend to be somewhat reserved, mm-hmm. and uh, that can work really well.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Uh, you've had the experience with Scripps as CFO. You were over the HR area, IT, which is really an unusual combination to, to be doing the numbers stuff with, as CFO, doing the people work with HR and then IT um, so I'm just wondering as for example you said when you took over the HR head that you had no experience in HR and it sounds like um, perhaps you were being prepared or groomed for a CEO role uh, as you were rounded out your experience was rounded out what would you tell listeners as on these varied roles how they how it helped you you know what what uh, the circumstances were there
1: yeah, and I, I would um I would say it was my, you know, I followed what I was interested in, right? So this was not you know, a purposeful path that the company put me on. This was a, probably a purposeful path I put myself on. and um and that was to be open to new opportunities. Um, if I'm interested in something, then I pursue it. Um, I like to learn it. I like to dig into it. And then if I feel like I can make a difference, then, then by all means. Um, and, um, and so, you know, over the years, you know, I started with the HR role, but I was very, very, you know, clear, hey, this isn't my area of expertise, but I know how to assemble a team of the right leaders and get the most out of them. And, and honestly, I've repeated that same cycle. When I brought IT onto, you know, I, I, I can remember sitting down with our CIO saying, hey, listen, you and I both know, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job, but I'm going to be an advocate for you. I'm going to help you make decisions that we need to take you know, in terms of investments or um, risk factors that we need to consider, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. You're probably going to tell me, um, you're going to teach me um, what I need to know but I'm going to be, you know, the best leader that I can for you. And, and honestly, that's just the way that I've approached every single role and asking, Mm -hmm. you know, I think sometimes as a leader um, and, and I do think this is more, um, you know, more women approach things this way. I'm not afraid to tell people, I don't know. And I need your help. And when you, when you're vulnerable in that way, and you ask people, Hey, like this is an area that I don't know much about. And I really need you to lead me so that I can be a le- better leader for you. People rise to the occasion. I I, I can tell you, mm-hmm. I have I have not had one person not rise to the occasion when I've asked for help. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately you're enrolling them in your success, but also it's their success at the end of the day. And so
0: sure.
1: Um, so I think it's interesting. You know, when I take a step back and look at the different things that I've done in my career, it has prepared it has prepared me, I think, for this role um, leading this business because I have the appreciation for the people side of it and how important it is to get to get that right. I also understand the risk side of it and the you know from IT and uh, risk management, but also the financial side of it, and mm-hmm. um, you know, all of those experiences really brought me to this this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, to take on this really, really um, big, challenging opportunity for Scripps.
0: Sure, sure. I think all of the leaders that uh, women leaders I've talked to in leading she, without exception, have taken risks in their career success. And you say you're a risk taker. You've talked about risk. Tell me, tell me a story, or tell me, give me an example of how you believe you've taken risk and it's worked out, and uh, it's a good thing for you know women to do as they are. Uh, headed to leading roles? Yeah. So um,
1: probably, you know, certainly the one that comes to mind um, most uh, notable in the last several years was when Adam Simpson um, asked me to be the interim CFO and then ultimately the CFO. And I had long been out of um, public accounting and accounting period. And so, you know, my first reaction was, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm not going to be able to do this. Like, and just, you know, sort of this moment of self-doubt and fear uh, of saying yes. And honestly, you know, I talked to my husband and, you know, we've been married, it'll be 33 years this year. Um, and he he said, seriously, like every challenge you've ever, like, ever accepted, you've succeeded at. And, like, I think you should say yes. And so it was sort of a, a little bit of a leap of faith. It was certainly a risk. You know, the CFO role is a very public role. And right. um, and um, <laughs> and little did I know, um, a month after I became the interim CFO, we also ended up in a proxy fight. And so it, the stakes got even higher, right, immediately. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I honestly said, you know, I I know and I know myself, I can do anything I put my mind to, including this. And that's what I told myself over and over and over again until I mastered, you know, mastered the role. And um, but that was, that was, you know, that was going to be an epic public failure if if I wasn't successful. Um, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I'm happy to say that it was, it was not in um, and I found success there.
0: What we, you know, somebody told me when I started my company in 1998, jump, there's water in the pool, you know, and I think sometimes as women, we go negative and we think, oh, I just can't risk it. But, you know, my spouse knows me like it sounds like your spouse knows you. It's kind of mm-hmm. like, what are you, what are you worried about? You know, so you have to listen, listen to them. But uh, that's right. Yeah, we have to take risk. Um, tell me a little about your personal life. Where did you grow up? Siblings um, yeah. and then your personal life now.
1: Yeah, so um, born and raised in Cincinnati, um, grew up in Fairfield. Um, mm-hmm. I was the youngest of three girls. Um, my mother um, was a working mom for a while. She was in a definitely in a male dominated field. She was a designer. She worked on the lunar module. Um, you know, uh, in and my dad worked at GE um, for forty plus years, um, working on um, jet engine. Um, He was also a designer and, you know, our, I I think my parents and my mom in particular, like you can be anything you want to be like, there was never limitations put on us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, uh, you know, and my mom was definitely a, um, an advocate for women's rights and, and promoting women. And, um, and that just always, you know, I, I still, to this day have a very, very, like I, I, I want to be a good steward to other women and and pay it forward. And that's really, really important to me. And I think that was instilled at a very young age, um, seeing my mom um, be an advocate for women in sports and and other Mm -hmm. things um, as as I grew up. Um, I have two older sisters that still live um, in Fairfield. Um, My father passed away last year. My mother um, Mm, died um, about 15 years ago. So... Mm. Um, it's just, um, the three of us now, but mm-hmm. we, um, uh, you know, close to my sisters. I also have three children. So I have a yep. 30, 30 year old, a 26 year old and a 25 year old, um, two girls and a boy and I have two grandchildren. So I have a four-year-old granddaughter and a, um, uh, one-year-old grandson. So, um, it's so much better being a grandparent. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> absolutely. Love it. Um, yeah. and you know, and I, um, Honestly, I've had, you know, Steve is my husband, and we've been married, as I said, 30 plus years. And um, we are, you know, we're a team, we've been a team Mm -hmm. from the beginning. Um, Back when I was pregnant with our second child, we made the decision that my career was probably going to be the one that we um, invested in, so to speak. And so Mm -hmm. my husband made the decision back in the early 90s to be a stay-home dad, which there were not many dads in the early 90s becoming stay-home dads. And hmm. I, I would not be where I am today if it wasn't for the sacrifices he's made. And um, and we've told our children from the beginning, his job is the most important job. My mine, mine might pay the bills, but his is about the future of our family and the legacy Mm -hmm. of our kids and grandkids. And, Mm -hmm. and, and together we just really, you know, made a terrific team. He was the reason I could do what I did and to take the risks that I did and support me, you know, every step along the way.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. We've had some, uh, we've had several women on the podcast who have said the same thing that their husbands, you know, they, they, their husbands either stayed at home or they're their job was less uh important i i should shouldn't say important it's not as less important because it is a big job to raise children but yeah it's uh it can help a lot and my husband was the same way my husband is steve hey. and uh he we've been married almost 39 years and wow. uh have two kids thanks and i agree with you on the grandchildren comment i have two boys 6 and 4 and uh it is wonderful it is it wonderful is. yeah it's-
1: it's it's quite it amazing.
0: Yeah. And I had a role model as a mom, too. She was very much a feminist uh, back in the 50s and 60s when we were being raised. She was always working and a career woman. And so I think that does. We see it. You know, we see it with our moms and uh, they become role models for us. And I know you've said that, um, you know, since you've had children, you've had a career, that you have kind of a soft spot for working moms. Um, and. What do you think? What do you think companies and fellow employees and people in companies need to know about women leaders who want successful careers, executives that have children? Uh, and you talk about creating balance. Talk about that.
1: Yeah, I I, I can remember um, thinking, oh, like you know, work-life balance and balancing you know work with being a mom and being a wife. And honestly, I think the, um, you know, that's, it's sort of elusive, right? Balance is elusive. And I think what you have to do is balance the moments, not that, not in totality, but the moments that matter. And so, you know, as I, as I mentor young, you know, mothers, especially new moms, I say like, pick the moments that are going to matter uh, for you. So if it's, um, you know, I took off (laughs) every year for my kid's birthday from the time they were, you know, obviously when they were born, but until they were in junior high and I would volunteer for school on their birthday until they didn't Mm. want me there anymore. And, (laughs) and, and they still, I mean, they, they remember that. And I also made the decision that I was going to be there for field trips or for school Mm -hmm. parties or school events. And so I couldn't do everything, but I chose what I wanted to do. And then I was committed to doing what I, said I was going to do, and 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 I made those moments count versus trying to be, you know, everything, and yeah. um, and I and and I try to help moms put that in perspective, and then also to say, you know, sometimes there's a time to there's a time to balance home and prioritize that, and it and and I I'm I say all the time, no decisions are forever decision. You may choose to pull back for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then choose to move forward a few years later. And it's okay to do that. Um, mm-hmm.
0: We have and, long careers, we can do that.
1: Exactly. And so mm-hmm. and, and I think today, more and more men are doing that. I've, I've mentored mm-hmm. many, many men who say, I, you know, I'm not going to miss this time to coach my daughter's basketball team. Yeah. So I, I and, and I, and, and that's where you knowing your employees and what they need like yeah. knowing that they need that and allowing them to take that and have that flexibility, you're going to get 10 times more
0: oh, from yeah. them. Pays, pays dividends. Like go, you know, yeah. go be with your daughter, go take her to the doctor's appointment, whatever it is. Yes. You know, it, it uh, just pays dividends. And then you have really motivated people, you know, exactly when you know exactly. that you're working with them and in, in creating balance. That's right. Um uh, you have a philosophy. Just you said it earlier, um, which I love. Make them tell you no, which I've done in my career. What do you mean by make them tell you no? So, um,
1: and I say it now to my people. Say make me tell you no. Um, but I, um, you know, I, I I would say I'm equally sort of you know partially very very strategic and have lots of ideas and and see. You know, throughout my time at Scripps, in particular, see capabilities maybe that we need to invest in, and so I I have pushed the envelope in terms of like, hey, I think we need to focus on. You know, I started a um, you know a, a, the what we call um, program management at Scripps. You know, we had mm. lots of really big transformational projects happening, and so I put together what I thought was the you know, proposal for that organization to exist within Scripps. And and I thought, I'm going to make Rich tell me no. And Rich didn't tell me no. He said, you know, that's the scary part when they say, yeah, go. And now you like, okay, now we've got to do it. We've got to follow through with it. And so I want people to bring ideas. I want people to bring um, new ways of doing things and mm-hmm. and challenge me. Um, and challenge the organization to think differently, and that's what I mean. Like, make us tell you no. Like, push the envelope. Um,
0: mm-hmm. You know,
1: let's let's push ourselves to the you know the our outer comfort zone, um, and and that's what I really mean by that. Is mm-hmm. is um, you know, um, be bold, take risk,
0: right? Yeah, and come up with ideas. You don't want a a conference room. A group of people nodding their heads every time you talk you want them to challenge you and that those are the best companies that yeah. some of the best ideas are around the table and they've got to have the confidence and the you know to take a risk and say what about this idea and if they believe in it really you know strongly to keep pushing it you know, mm-hmm. and just like you know, tell me no. It's just like in my business, I say I pound on the chest until everybody's calling it. You know, yeah. and uh, I don't give up. And so yeah. it's it's a real strength, you know, to be able to do that and have the confidence that you believe in your idea. And you know, to, to I dare you to tell me no. You know,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the other word that comes to mind is courage. I think sometimes yes. you know having the courage to come forward and, and proffer the idea like is like, sometimes that's half the battle. It may be the best idea, but if you don't have the courage to bring it forward, it's not going to see the light of day. And, Mm -hmm. and, and as a leader, even right now, you know, leading this organization, bringing together three different organizations into one, I have tried to, you know, I have open office hours where any employee in my division can reach out to me for a half hour zoom call. And you know Mm -hmm. what? There have been employees that have reached out to me that have brought ideas forward that we're now implementing. And you know what Mm -hmm. I do? I make sure that they know it was because they had the courage to reach out to me to give me that idea. Otherwise, we may not have gotten there, right? Like, Or we would have gotten there a year from now. And I think then reinforcing you know, sometimes it doesn't work out quite that well, but reinforcing, mm-hmm. hey, look, you came forward, and you made a difference. And now we're going to take that idea and implement it. And, right, and I think, um, you know, if I can instill in our organization, anything, it's the, you know, two things. One, like, I, I'm full of sayings, like, I want people to veer outside their lane. I, I say that all the time. Like, if you have an opinion about another group, people should not, there's no ego involved, right? Like they should be Mm -hmm. open to those ideas. So veer outside your lane is one of them. And then I think what you said earlier, deference is an idea killer. Like I never want deference um, to be pervasive in my organization. Um, Mm -hmm. I I want people to, you know, just because I I tell the story all the time, um, you know, years ago, we were working on something at Scripps. It was when Rich Finney was CEO. And uh, we were remodeling the office and Rich said at one point in time that he liked the color green. Suddenly the walls were green because Rich said, like, that's deference, right? Like, no. Yes.
0: He wants green. We're doing green.
1: (laughs) And and he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't asking them, but, but that's when people, when there's deference for leadership and not that that's what kills ideas and or free flowing information. And I think you know, just being a leader that's open to listening and, and mm-hmm. encouraging the free flow of information mm-hmm. is, is key. It's
0: healthy. It's healthy for a company. Um, Scripps owns Court TV as one of its networks, and Court TV had the exclusive rights uh, to the May 2020 George Floyd murder Derek Chauvin trial. Yes. Uh, Court TV televised it. It was streaming. Um, It's not only televised, but it was part of our part of our digital mobile world. You could you could watch it on your phone. uh, Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. um, talk about that. And what was this controversial to air it? What were the ratings, the views, uh, any negative press or backlash? What was the company posture on this?
1: Yeah. So um, this was the first time in Minnesota history, that they have allowed cameras in the courtroom. And it was because of the work that our court TV team did to petition the Supreme Court of Minnesota to allow for cameras in the courtroom. And um, so that was number one. Number two, as a journalism company, we think it is our role in society to shed light on the American justice system, the American court system, mm-hmm. and to allow the American public to watch justice or justice not be served, right? And for them to see it, hear it and experience it for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is you know, our public duty. It is, we take that very seriously as a journalism company And honestly, it was, um, you know, we committed to um, having cameras in the courtroom from the jury selection forward, which, you know, was, you know, so that, um, again, it was important to us during jury selection to ensure that there was a fair process in the selection of jurors. So I watched, I don't know if you watched, but I watched every minute Mm -hmm. of those, um, the jury selection process including when they had to dismiss almost half the jurors halfway between because of news that came out. And right. I, I think it is important, you know, certainly court TV, um, the, uh, the heart of what they do is, you know, cameras in the courtroom, but there's also, uh, an aspect, there were a number of, um, leading up to the Chauvin trial, there was a um, documentary on George Floyd and the entire, you know, um, nine minutes, um, leading Mm -hmm. to his death. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really our public service to get those stories in the hands of, of, of Americans to make their, Mm -hmm. to form their own opinions. It is not our job to, um, you know, to, um, to tell people what to think. It's our job to give people the information to allow them to form their own opinion. Our motto, you know, give light and people will find their own way that is yeah. absolutely the case with I love that. Um, court <laughs> tv and i will just say um, it was we we had great success with court tv we had um over 400,000 viewers tune in to court tv for the um for the uh the verdict and um that was um you know just huge um, ratings increases you know it, it was 10 times what we saw prior to the Chauvin trial. Um, and, uh, certainly, you know, was a, uh, a watershed moment, I think for court TV to be back in, um, you know, we have a number of other trials this year that are very high profile trials, but it is again, our job to shed light in the American justice system and in the, in the courtrooms. And mm-hmm. I think court TV did a very, very nice job of, um, Uh, of that, certainly with um, the Derek Chauvin trial.
0: Yeah, no, no, I agree. Um, And I, it sounds like um, that uh, Scripps takes a pretty neutral, you know, view, and which is the way news should be, you know, it should be Walter Cronkite. I'm telling you what's going on. I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm not steering you one way or another. That's, that's the way news should be.
1: Yes, and you know, we're relaunching Newsy later this year. um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're very, very focused on is providing context, providing information that allows people to, again, make their own decisions about particular views, you know, holding, holding those in power accountable, you know, so on and so forth. But it's really about providing context, depth and analysis that allows people to then form their own opinions. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, most companies, and my company is one of them since the, the race relations, George Floyd death and and everything that went on there, many companies are saying we've really got to embrace diversity, equity, inclusion. We have to have belonging and opportunity and it sounds like perhaps Scripps has done this you have a network for sort of like the old uh, maybe black uh, BET black entertainment network and you have Bounce so what if what has been the diversity initiative within the company
1: well so um i will i will talk about it in two ways so l- let me talk about bounce um, bounce is our african american focused network it's 11 years old 10 years old this year mm-hmm. um, You know, we bought um, Bounce in 2017 as a part of an acquisition that we did. Um, It is focused on the positive portrayal of African-Americans. We air something called the Trumpet Awards. We will air our 30th year. Um, You know, certainly it started well before Bounce, but it's been on Bounce for the last number of years. Um, And that is the celebration of Black excellence. And that will be Hmm. early next year. Um and it is it, it is a phenomenal um just inspiring moment, you know, um to tune into the trumpet awards. So that's one aspect of um, our business that is very, very focused on um lifting up the black community, uh ensuring that we are um, good stewards um in terms of you know the as I said, the positive portrayal of African Americans.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We also, its GRIPS have a um, equity, diversity, and inclusion program that is um, uh, focused not just on employees, but um, our business and also our um, corporate social responsibility. Um, so it, 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 it includes um, Daniel Wright, who runs that division. We are just off of a phenomenal week. We had a diversity symposium. Um, the second week in June, um, highly attended um, by more than a third of our employees, um, tuned in. It was programmed um, uh, probably four hours a day. They could sign up, you know, obviously on Zoom. um, And we had outside speakers on lots of different perspectives. And, uh, you know, we are really committed to not just, um, you know, diversity in um, you know our on-air talent that reflects the communities that we do business in, and mm-hmm. it reflects our advertisers, our our, right. our viewers, um, but also our employees, um, ensuring that we are providing opportunity uh, for our people of color, for veterans, for other groups, to ensure that we
0: are. Focused on ethnicity I assume and and yes. gender you know yes. all all groups Absolutely. of people let's mm-hmm. all be fair That's right. let's be inclusive you know yes. and uh, not have any you know biases that affect you know feeling of belonging and opportunity and hiring right, right? yes yeah.
1: and and it's funny you say the word belonging because i i in our um in our value statement as we became a new division I, we wrote one of our statements was we want people to feel they can be their authentic self and have a sense of belonging. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. like ultimately, then you feel, you feel at home, you feel Mm -hmm. open, you feel more at peace and have the courage, as we talked about earlier, to share ideas and to have a voice. And, and that's really what I want for really every one of our employees, if possible.
0: Right, yeah, it's like a value that's not negotiable. You know, if you really stick to it, it's like that's not negotiable. That's a value of the company. Yes. Um, j- just a couple more questions for you here. Um, as you as you think about young women in their careers, and you have two daughters, it sounds like. I mean, what advice would you give to young business women just beginning their careers right now? And it's very different than when you and I started you know, what, uh, what would you tell young women as they get into their careers, you know, and uh, if they want to climb the career ladder, what, what would be your best advice?
1: So, um, you know, I, there's advice I give um, not only to my own girls, but, um, but to my, you know, mentoring young women um, in, uh, in the workplace. One is, um, you know, (laughs) <laughs> figure out what you love and the rest will come, right? Like, yep. so if you are focused on really finding your passion and what you're good at and what you love to do, then all of the promotions and, you know, uh, you know, if if you're focused on, you know, money, like those things will come only when you're following your passion and what you love to do. So that, that's one piece of advice. Mm-hmm. And then, and then the other piece of advice I give to people is, um, you know, when they see situations at work, things that are not working well, things that could be better. Like I, I would tell people all the time, fill the void. Don't don't just notice the void, but come forth, have ideas, and you know, you you'll you sometimes end up with that job, right? Like suddenly you you see an opportunity, and then suddenly okay, like you, yeah, you this can to- do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, so, you know, fill the void. Um, don't just complain about it or just don't right. notice it, but really um, fill that void um, wh- when you see those um, and notice those.
0: Mm-hmm. Great advice. Uh, did it take you a while to figure out what you were really loved and, and best at in your career? Yeah,
1: that's probably why I've had so many <laughs> different, different um, jobs. Like, different let's jobs. see
0: what I Try this, try that. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think, you know, each, op- I, actually, what I love is challenge. And that's what I yes, had to come to grips too. with. Right. And so, yeah. So that challenge could be as CFO, that challenge could be as the head of strategy or mm-hmm. now as the head of this business. And so mm-hmm. coming to grips with that, and then yeah. a lot, that freed me to then take those risks and mm-hmm. and and say yes.
0: Yeah, it took me a while to figure out what I really really was good at and what I loved the most. And I spent 13 years in lending, you know, lending with commercial real estate. Uh but I I'm not the most detail oriented person in a group. Um I'm kind of a salesperson and uh, I love challenges and developing relationships and so forth. So I thought I need to get into commercial mortgage banking. So it took me about 13 years to get there and have the confidence I could do it, you Mm -hmm. know. So uh, sometimes it takes a while and sometimes it for young women, you know, sometimes you have to do a little bit of what you don't like to do as you're building your career, right? Yes, totally agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, uh, don't like that, but I'm gonna keep doing it to earn money right. and I let people know what I really want to do, right? Right. So that's what you yeah. have to do.
1: I one one thing you made me think about, you know, a lot of times people want to be promoted, right? Like they're just focused on that next promotion. And mm-hmm. and and that's what I would call sort of vertical, you know, like you're being promoted vertically, you're stepping up. Yes. But guess what? Like while you're waiting for that next promotion, which sometimes they don't come, like there's few and far between, there are skills that you can amass. And I call that sort of like thinking horizontally, what can I learn and gain a skill on? And that I, you know, so when I became CAO, I originally didn't have strategy, but strategy was something I knew I was really interested in. And so Mm -hmm. I learned it, I became like, I mastered it, not because someone told me to, but it was because something I thought I would be interested in. And then when I was ready, and I said, hey, I'd love to run strategy. I think I can add value there. Mm-hmm. I was ready for it. And so, mm-hmm. so thinking not just vertically in terms of the skill, like the promotions, but what are the skills that are going to make me more marketable along the way that I can continue to add? Um, and, and that is just a way of like keeping yourself busy until that promotion comes and you're way right. more valuable.
0: So. Yeah, I, that's what I see in your career. You've had a, an incredible, varied experiences, you know, which have to everything that you've done in your career has to prepare you for this role now. Yeah, right? definitely. Yes. Yeah. Okay, last question I have for you. Um, I understand that you have a knack for photographing famous people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and the name Gene Simmons from the band Kiss came up in a recent conversation. I wondered if you wanted to talk about your ability to photograph famous people and any Gene Simmons uh, stories you could tell us. So,
1: yeah, So, I, I, I this is, so two things. One, um, I, for some reason, run into famous people constantly. Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. in the Sky Club, Gene Simmons in the Sky Club. Um, wow. I mean, you name it. Like, it's, it, and and it's funny because I'm really kind of like unapologetic. You know, I don't mind asking. And so I uh, I, I have this technique. So I sat next to or right behind Pete Rose one time and, and the same thing with Gene Simmons in the Sky Club. So I'm sitting near them. Someone they're having a conversation. Someone asked for a picture with him. I always am the one that volunteer to take the picture because you know what happens next? Like, Oh, can I get one too? Because someone else <laughs> asked first, um, but I've been also known to sort of slip a picture, you know, without someone knowing it as well. So I, I, it's so, it's so odd, but I constantly run into like famous people and now people send me their pictures of famous people, um, because it's so, um, uh, because they know, and I post them a lot of times on Facebook because it's just, oh. it's kind of funny. So.
0: Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Sky Club is Delta's, uh Sky Club, right? Yes, at, uh, yes, yeah. Yes, I go yes. there quite a bit too. It used yes. to be called the Crown Room, as I right. remember. Right,
1: yeah. Gene Simmons, I ran into in New York and lo- at LaGuardia, and he was as nice as can be. He was very, really? very, yep, very nice, very gracious. Was really talkative. Um, there was another woman and I sitting near him and just struck up a conversation. Delightful, delightful person. So.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure I would recognize him without all the makeup <laughs> yeah. that they wore in the band, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: yeah you, you have to be on the lookout, um, you know, sometimes. Yeah. Which, which Sounds I Sounds like Always. you are. Yeah. <laughs> I am.
0: <laughs> well, fantastic. Lisa, it's been great to get to know you. And this has been a great uh, talk. I think uh, it'll be really valuable to uh, women that are on there career tracks. And uh, thank you very much for taking the time. I'm, I'm glad we finally had a chance to do this.
1: Susan, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad we got the chance to do it as well. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Leading She. Please check out many other Leading She episodes, which are wonderful. We discuss challenges these accomplished women have overcome in their careers. Please subscribe to this podcast and rate it and review it follow Leading She on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and visit our website, leadingshe.com, where we have ideas and wisdom for women leaders.